Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the letter of Paul to the Galatians. We'll discuss the consequences of believing that salvation is faith plus works, as well as the presence of the Holy Spirit in the true believer evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. So if you'll open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin our lesson. Why don't we begin in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for this group and for your word and for the opportunity to gather together and study your word. We appreciate the presence of the Holy Spirit to help guide our discussion as well as our study, as well as to teach us what we need to hear today. We all each may need to hear something a little different as we each continue through the sanctification process that we're going to be talking about today. And we thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you've given to us to help guide us and help us understand your word. And even more than that, to help us apply what we study to our own lives as we become more Christ-like through the sanctification process. Father, we thank you again for this group and all the blessings you continue to pour out on us. And let it be your words, not mine, and just guide this discussion. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are in Galatians chapter 5, if you'll go over there, and as you recall from our previous several studies in Galatians, what Paul is talking about is how wrong it is to add anything to God's grace and add anything to faith for your salvation. That we obtain our salvation, it is by grace, through our faith in Jesus Christ alone, And you'll recall we talked about how Galatians actually was sort of the cornerstone of what Martin Luther used to try to reform the Catholic Church because they had moved away so far from just faith alone, adding works and sacraments and all kinds of other things in order to obtain salvation. And Paul is actually talking about that, not Catholics, but he's talking about the Judaizers who were Jewish people who believed in Jesus Christ, but then were saying that the only way you can have salvation is you also have to get circumcised, you have to abide by all the Jewish law, you have to do a lot of things. And what Paul has been saying is that is basically a rejection of the gospel. As soon as you start feeling like you've got to help Jesus Christ out and add something in order to be saved, in order to have salvation, you've rejected the work of Jesus Christ. You're saying it wasn't sufficient. So we've been studying that, and Paul is now going to explain that sanctification, that process should then follow after we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We've been justified. We've had our sins forgiven, past, present, and future. And so now the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and begins to change us and make us more Christ-like as believers. And so He's asking the people in the church of Galatia there to return to the spirit-filled and spirit-led life. And he's going to talk about how much freedom there is, and we'll discuss what he means by freedom when we go with the true gospel, and that is faith plus nothing. It's by your faith alone that we're saved. And he's trying to get those who may have started following these false teachers to come back to the true gospel that Paul had taught them to begin with rather than their futile works and legalistic approach, their self-efforts to trying to gain their salvation. And he's going to say that you don't go to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. If you think you're a good person, then Jesus really isn't going to be any use to you. He's going to have some pretty direct words. And for those of you who might get upset with what I'm saying, 
I'm reading Paul's words. These aren't my words. I'm trying to help you see exactly what Paul is saying when you add all these things to faith. In fact, to begin with here in chapter 5, he's going to point out five consequences of what happens when you do try to add other things to faith in order to gain your salvation. He's going to give five things that then happen when you try to do that. So let's see what Paul has to say. We'll begin in chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So much like what he was saying when we were in Galatians 4, he's saying since Christ came and provided this way of salvation, which was you're free from the law. In other words, the law showed us we needed a savior, but the law no longer condemns us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So if that's the case, why in the world, Paul's saying, would you want to go back and put that yoke of slavery on? Why in the world would you want to go back and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, but now I'm going to do a bunch of stuff and I'm going to kind of put this yoke of slavery back on where I've got to abide by the law. And he's saying, why would you want to do that? Verse 2, behold, I, Paul, so see, this is Paul talking, not me, not Larry O'Donnell. Paul says to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. So this is the first consequence. And it's not just circumcision. It's trying to put that yoke of any of the law on yourself to say, I've got to do these things in order to earn my salvation. Paul is basically saying, when you do that, the first consequence is Christ is of no benefit to you. In other words, he's really saying that you've rejected Christ. You've rejected the gospel of Christ. And you're now saying that you want to earn your own way. You want to add to it. And that's not the gospel. And so that's what Paul is saying. It will be no benefit to you. Now, circumcision, let's go back and just make sure we all know why that was there and what it was. Of course, I think everyone on this call knows it's cutting of the male foreskin. And what that was, that was symbolic of God's design to cut away the sin from ourselves. It never was intended to provide salvation. It was a sign. It was a symbol that the Jewish people were set apart. And what that symbolized is their cutting away of sin, but it never provided salvation. And so what Paul is saying is if you're going to go and think, I'm going to go receive circumcision for salvation, then Christ is no benefit to you. Now, remember, Paul was circumcised, so he's not condemning circumcision in and of itself. But what he is saying is if circumcision or any of the other trying to be obedient to any of the other laws in order to obtain salvation, that's not going to work. It ain't going to work for you. You're essentially rejecting Christ. That's what Paul is saying in verse 2. So that's the first consequence. Verse 3, And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. So this is the consequence number two. So if you're going to say, I'm going to go under circumcision, that'll help me gain my salvation. Or even if you say, I'm going to try to keep some of the law, you're actually now obligated to keep the whole law. And by the way, nobody can do that. If you'll look over at James 2.10, just go to the right a long way after Hebrews. You'll get to James. And James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. 
And so it's impossible. You cannot keep the whole law, which is the whole reason that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, because we had a sin problem. There's no way you can do it on your own. And yet when you add these things and say they're required in addition to faith, you're basically saying that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was just not adequate to get you saved. And he needs your help. And you've got to contribute something. And you're going to earn your own way. And as soon as you do that, Paul's saying you're rejecting the gospel. And now the second consequence is you're obligated to keep the entire law as soon as you do that. And don't forget, we also studied last time how Abraham, I know we got some new people this time, how Abraham was declared righteous by God, and he was declared righteous by God some 14 years before he got circumcised, okay? And so circumcision is not what got Abraham declared righteous. It was his faith. We can go look at that in Romans 4, verses 1 through 10. Okay, so let's keep going. We've talked about the first two consequences. Now we're in verse 4. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. So Paul is being real direct here. He's saying that here's the third consequence, is that you have fallen from grace. And this can be either, first of all, if as a part of being saved, you go through the process of, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ and I have to do all of these things. Well, you've rejected the gospel, the true gospel of Christ. And so you're not going to participate in the inheritance from God. You're going to be cast out of God's family just like Ishmael was cast out of Abraham's family. We studied that last time. So this falling from grace, there can be two aspects of it here. I don't think here he's talking about people who are not believers, because we're going to see later he's actually talking to people who he thinks came to faith based on the original gospel, and now they're being deceived. I think that's who he's talking about. And in that case, I think what he means is because we say if you're a Christian and you truly have placed your faith in Jesus Christ in your heart, if you're later deceived by something, you're not going to lose your faith. And he's trying to draw them back in, as we'll see later in the text that we'll study today. But he may also be talking about people who that's what they believe. That's how they first came to Christ. They think I've got to do this and I've got to do all these other things. And basically he's saying, you're not part of God's grace. You're not going to be part of that. If you're adding things to grace, you're rejecting the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not going to work out well for you. You're not going to receive the grace of God. Now, what happens to those who are believers and who are just being deceived right now, the falling from grace, what that does is that inhibits the Holy Spirit to allow the Holy Spirit to work in their life to continue the sanctification process. Verse 5, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So what he's saying here is it's only by our faith. We're not adding anything to it, and we know that we're declared righteous by God. That's our hope, and it's not like a wishful thinking type of hope. It is a belief that it has been done type of hope. That's what we're waiting on. And so the fourth consequence is if you add things to faith for salvation, you can't be declared righteous by God because you're saying it's faith plus something else. And salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. It's not because of any of our works. And I showed you each time, but let me show you the key verse on that. If you just flip over to the right to Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, meaning even our faith is a gift from God. Verse 9, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Okay, so it's very clear. Our works have nothing to do with it. It's by grace alone, through our faith alone, and our faith is even a gift from God. We have nothing to contribute to it other than our need for a Savior. And I use this analogy all the time. It's like if I offer this watch to you as a gift, if you don't receive it, it's not yours. And so we're offered God's grace, but we have to receive it. Now, I always fall short of saying, well, that receiving process is me contributing something to it because I have nothing to contribute to it. So there's a little tension there. I understand there's a little mystery there, but I also feel very strongly that because it's so clear here that it's nothing that we do. It is God, through his grace, giving us our salvation. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. What he's saying is it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. It doesn't mean anything. It's all about our faith. And our faith is evidenced by the love we have for others. So now he's going to talk about these false teachers. Verse 7, this is why I was saying earlier, it appears to me that he's talking about people who did accept the true gospel and now are being sort of deceived by these false teachers. He says in verse 7, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So he's saying these people who are teaching these other things, adding this other stuff to faith alone for salvation, they're hindering you. They were running well, but now they're being hindered. And so this is the fifth consequence. When you start adding things to faith, it's going to hinder your spiritual growth. It's going to hinder the ability of the Holy Spirit to work in your life. It not only hinders the Holy Spirit, it hinders our growth. Then we can't live the way God intends. And we're going to see what happens to us when we read a little further in the text today. These people, I think, were being deceived. And Paul is trying to bring them back to their original beliefs, not that they've lost their faith. Verse 8, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And so he's saying that anybody who's teaching this, that salvation comes from faith plus something else, that you've got to do things to earn your way, you've got to do sacraments that some religions believe, that's basically what all other religions other than true Christianity believes. You've got to work hard. You might get there. There's many denominations that actually teach this, that you've got to believe in Christ, but then you've got to do all these things. And if you talk to people that believe that and you ask them, are you going to heaven or not? They'll say, well, I don't really know. I, I think I am, but I don't really know. So they don't even have peace. They don't even know where they're going to end up, which is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The true gospel is you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the only way. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. That is the only way. And by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, and we are promised eternal life with him. And to add anything to it is just watering it down. And that's what he's saying. A little leaven, leaven is always in the Bible viewed as evil. And so this little bit of teaching that they're adding in, they're adding something to the true gospel. The lump of dough is the gospel. And they're adding a little something in, but it's evil. And it's going to ruin the whole gospel. It essentially rejects the gospel by adding this other stuff in that is not the gospel. The problem is 
we like doing that. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. We have a problem, all of us. Our flesh wants to feel like we're contributing something. It's our pride. We want to feel like, well, yeah, I mean, I earned it, you know. I mean, we all want to feel like I deserve this. I earned it. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is we don't deserve anything but death. We're all sinners. There isn't anything we can do. And God recognized that and gave us a solution. And as soon as you start distorting that, which is what has happened in many other religions, even some that profess to be Christian-based, you are rejecting the true gospel of Christ, is what Paul is saying. Verse 10, this is also why I'm saying I think he's talking to people who do have true faith and are just being deceived. Verse 10, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. I think Paul is saying, he says something similar, I think, in Philippians 1. Just flip over to the right a few books to Philippians. Go over two books and you'll be in Philippians. Let's look at Philippians 1, 6 through 7. And Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's saying that I saw the change in you when I preached the true gospel to you. I think you have saving faith, and right now you're being deceived by these false teachers, but I have confidence that the Holy Spirit, who began a good work in you, that brought you to faith to begin with, is going to correct your ways and bring you back to the true gospel. But the one who is disturbing you, meaning these false teachers, they're going to suffer the judgment of God. Verse 11, but I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. The false teachers were probably saying that Paul was still teaching circumcision, and so they were teaching the same thing Paul was because he was circumcised, but he wasn't teaching that. And so Paul's saying, look, why am I still persecuted? If I'm teaching circumcision, then you shouldn't persecute me anymore. But he's being persecuted because he's teaching the gospel of Christ, which is faith alone. And that is, the cross is a stumbling block. What does he mean by that? Well, it's a stumbling block to anybody who has so much pride that they want to do it their own way, which is just about all of us, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit working in our heart. You know, we want to contribute to it. We want to add to it. We want to feel like we're doing something to earn our salvation. And that's the stumbling block because true Christianity is about becoming a beggar. It's about saying, I am broken. I am a sinner. There is nothing I have to contribute to my salvation. I can't get there any other way but through my faith. And I've got to place my faith in Jesus Christ. I can't do anything to get there. And that's a stumbling block for so many people and so many religions because they want to add all kinds of rules. I mean, I can give you all kinds of different, even in Christian-based denominations, there have been rules like you can't go dance, you can't go drink, you can't go to a party, you can't go to a movie. I mean, there's been all kinds of rules that if you do those things, you're going to lose your salvation type thing. That's not the gospel. You shouldn't wear makeup. Uh, there's, all kind, there's all kinds of rules. Just look around. And it's because man in his flesh wants to feel like, well, yeah, I'm contributing something. I'm going to do these various rules. And if I do them, well, then that's helping me gain more grace or earn more salvation. Or, and as soon as you're thinking that, you're rejecting the gospel is what Paul is saying right here.
verse 12. Again, this is Paul talking. He said, would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Okay, when you go look at the original language here, this mutilation, it means cut off, and it's not just a circumcision cut off. This is like castrate, okay, cut off. And Paul's basically saying, look, if you think circumcision is going to bring you God's favor, why not just go all the way? Go castrate yourself, you know, if you think that's going to help you. That's basically what Paul is saying here. Now he's going to talk about freedom, and he's going to tell us what true freedom living in Christ and the true gospel of Christ gives us this type of freedom. Verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. He's really saying there's various characteristics of this freedom that we have when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith is that it's only our faith through his grace that we are saved. And so number one is we have freedom because now we're free from the law. We no longer have to be slaves to the law. We no longer have to try to do all of this stuff, which is impossible to do at all, The Bible says there's no way we can do it. And it says if we think that we're without sin, well, we're deceiving ourselves and we're basically calling God a liar because we all sin. And so there's no way to do it. So now we're free because our sins are forgiven. Past, present, future, they are forgiven and we are declared righteous by God. And so that's one aspect of the freedom. Now, another aspect of the freedom is doesn't mean now that we have license to go sin. It doesn't mean now we can just go do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. That's not what that freedom is all about. That's not a characteristic of this freedom. He says what it is, it's serving one another. You see that? But through love, serve one another. So now the freedom we have, we have the Holy Spirit who gives us the gift in the ability, in the will to want to love and serve others and to love God and serve God. That's what this freedom is all about. It's to serve others and to show Christ to others. And by doing that, that freedom fulfills the law of God, that we're able to walk in obedience and show love to others. And we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. So that's what happens. We see that everywhere in our culture. We see it even probably in some of our churches. When we aren't serving and loving one another, we start backbiting each other. This freedom being free from the law, it means we're free from the dietary laws. We're free from the religious laws. We're free from all the law of the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments, all of them except one, was reiterated in the New Testament. And the one that wasn't reiterated is keeping of the Sabbath. But doing all those things, it's so easy to fall back into this legalism that we've got to do these things to earn salvation. And that is not the gospel. We do these things because God gives us the will and the way in order to be obedient and to bring glory to him rather than ourselves. That's what this is all about. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So the Holy Spirit is given to us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, and he gives us the desire and the power to be obedient to God. 
And it's the Holy Spirit that's working in us through this sanctification process to make us more Christ-like. This freedom, again, it's not to do what we want to do, but it's to do what God wants us to do through the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit motivating us. Let me give you a couple of verses just to further support that. Let's look at Romans 8, 9. Go back over to the left, just prior to Corinthians. It says, However you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you're not a Christian, is what this is saying. As soon as you become a Christian, place your faith in Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. Now just go to the right a little bit. We'll go to 2 Corinthians 1.22. And that says, let me start in verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So the Holy Spirit is given to us when we become Christians as a pledge, as a down payment, it's even characterized as. It's to show that we are saved. And then I've got a bunch of verses here, but let me show you one or two more. We'll go over to Ephesians 1.13. That's just the next book over from Galatians. Ephesians 1.13. It says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. It doesn't say we receive the Holy Spirit when we believe in him and if we do a bunch of things and, you know, participate in these sacraments and do X, Y, and Z. It doesn't say that. It says only from our belief, our faith, then we receive the Holy Spirit. And let me just show you one more, Philippians 2.12. So just keep going to the right, just to the next book, Philippians 2.12. And it says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's the Holy Spirit that's working in us. Okay, that's what's happening. This work out your salvation. This doesn't mean I've I've had people tell me, well, look, it says right here, this means earn your way, work out your salvation. You got to work and maybe you'll have salvation. Well, you got to read the whole sentence. Okay, you got to read verse 13. It's God who's at work in us. It's God who's making this happen to give us the will and the way to do his good pleasure. It isn't us anyway. As soon as we start being self-reliant, we're rejecting the gospel if you think that's going to bring you your salvation. So I've got other verses, but I at least wanted to show you those. Verse 17, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So there's this war that's going on. We can look at that if you just go back over to Romans with me. We're just over there. I should have told you to hold your place. Look at Romans 7, 18. Go back over to the left, Romans 7, 18. And this is Paul talking. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. So he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. 
But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And here's the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. So even Paul saw this battle in his own life. Here we have the apostle Paul saying, look, he's struggling with this all the time, just as we do. There's this battle going on. And we've got to depend on the Holy Spirit. We can't do it ourselves. We can't live this life ourselves. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit and yield to the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. I guess that's the main thing is say, Lord, I want to live my life today the way you want me to. I know it's impossible for me. Holy Spirit, please help me through today. Help me live my life in the way that you want me to live. I cannot do it on my own. So even Paul struggled with this. We just can't be obedient to God by our own power or our own will. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's the Holy Spirit that's going to help us. In fact, Romans 8, 26, let's go back over there real quick. It says, and in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. So we don't even know how to pray right. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Okay, so the Holy Spirit not only helps us understand the word when we're reading it, Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers. So now Paul's going to give us these two contrasting views. He's first going to look at the deeds of the flesh and describe that. And then he's going to show what the fruit of the Spirit is. When we see the Holy Spirit operating in our life, what that looks like. So verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. And he's going to describe them. These are what we see in our fleshly body. This is what comes out of us in our terrible flesh. And there's really three groups he's going to describe here. The first group is kind of sexual type activity and sin. The second is religious type of sin. And then the third is relationship slash social type sin. So he says these are the deeds of the flesh. These are, first he says, immorality. Okay, so that's like illicit sexual activity. can be anything from adultery to fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, prostitution. It's just all that kind of stuff. Impurity is just unclean behavior. Sensuality, again, sexual excess that he's describing there. So that's the first group. Now here comes the second group, which has to do with religion. First is idolatry. And so that's worshiping things other than God. It can even be adding things to faith. You can make law or circumcision or sacraments or whatever you want to as an idol. Maybe you're praying to certain people other than God, and they've become your idol where you're worshiping them. That's what he's describing here. That's not biblical. Sorcery, that's all kinds of cult-type practices. And when you go look at the original language here, it actually is the word that we use for pharmacy. And so it's even lots of drugs were used in these cult practices back then. And so that's what he's referring to here. 
Okay, now we have the third group of types of flesh deeds. And these, again, have to do with relationships and kind of social type things. You have enmities, so that's just hateful attitudes towards other people. Strife, jealousy, which is hateful resentment of others. Outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. That's animosities between people and divisions in the church. You have envyings, where you envy others. That can be jealousy, drunkenness, carousings, wild parties, drunken, crazy behavior, boisterous behavior. And things like these, so that's the third group, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, you go through that list, and I don't know about you, I mean, who hadn't done some of those things? And so you might ask, who can go to heaven? There's a number of things on that list that I certainly can say I've done before. But the key word I want you to focus on here is that word practice, okay? So what he's saying is, first of all, we all sin. We're all going to trip up from time to time. What he's talking about is people who this is their lifestyle. It's their habit. It's their way. It's their usual pattern. It's not an occasional misstep where we mess up, we confess our sin, we're truly sorry, and we move on. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who this is their normal practice, their lifestyle. So now he's going to contrast all of that, which again are the deeds of the flesh, which we would do if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, if just left to our own devices. He's now going to point out the fruit of the Spirit, which is produced by the Holy Spirit in the life of a true Christian who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, faith alone for their salvation. If you look at those prior fleshly deeds that we were just reading about, those come from personal self-effort. That's where those originate. That's ourselves. That's because we're doing those things because we want to do them. All right? That's from our self-effort. But the fruit of the Spirit is the outward sign that you have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so let's look at what those are. There's nine fruits of the Spirit mentioned here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And love is the first one, I think, for a reason. It's self-giving. It's placing others ahead of yourself. And I think love enables all the rest of this. I think that's why it's the first one mentioned. Jesus has always said that you can summarize all the commandments into love God and love others. And so I think that's why love is mentioned here. The next one is joy and peace. Joy is a deep sense of well-being, and peace is just being in the right way with God, having a right relationship, no longer separated from God. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, alone. That's the true peace that we get because we know now that we've been saved. We know our sins are forgiven and we know where we're going when we die. And that should bring tremendous peace. And anybody that adds stuff to the gospel, they don't have that because they don't know where they're going. They've got this yoke that Paul's been talking about. They're continually trying to get there and earn their way. And they'll never have the peace that the Holy Spirit can give them patience. Here's the fruit of the Spirit that I'm in great need of. This is tolerance, long-suffering. It's calm when faced with things that don't go our way. It's slow to get angry. That's one that I need to figure out a way to enable the Holy Spirit to work stronger in my life. That's a real weakness of mine right there. 
Kindness is concern for others. Goodness is really self-sacrifice for others. Faithfulness is being loyal and trustworthy. That's not only to God, but also to others, our spouses and friends and people that we work with. Gentleness is being meek. You may have meekness, in fact, even in your translation. Self-control is restraint. And then it says, against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So walking by the Spirit is yielding to the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit work rather than us trying to do it on our self-efforts. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So don't become self-centered, conceited, boastful, Just let the Holy Spirit work in our lives and realize that it's the Holy Spirit that will give us more and more of this as we mature. Maybe that's my problem. I need to mature more through the sanctification process. Let me show you where I'm getting that. I'll show you a couple of verses. I've got a whole bunch of them here. First one I'll show you, we'll just try to work right to left here. Philippians 1.6, which I already showed you, but let me show you that again just so you remember what it says. It says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So we're not perfect when we become Christians, but the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and it will be perfected. It will be accomplished when we die. That's when we will be perfected to bring glory to God, not to ourselves. And now just go over to the next book over, Colossians. I'll show you a couple of verses in there. Let's start with Colossians 1.10. It says, So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, this process begins. Okay? It's this process. Increasing. We increase in the knowledge of God through studying Scripture. And we even see the increase as we go of the fruits of the Spirit. And then go over to, just flip over a page to chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And it says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him. See, this is a process. It doesn't happen automatically. It's a process. Now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So it is this type of process. And let me just read on to verse 8 because I think it relates to what we're studying today. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception according to the tradition of men. Okay, so there's so many religions out there that they have all these traditions. These tradi- you do this, you got to do this, you got to do that. You gotta do- and it's not in the Bible. It's just traditions that are handed down. And if you do these traditions, they tell you, well, then you'll earn more grace or you'll earn more salvation or you'll earn your way to salvation. He's saying right here, don't let that kind of empty deception take you away. He says, rather than according to Christ. That's not the gospel. Let me just show you one more here. Let's look at 2 Peter 1.8. So that's all the way after Hebrews. Just keep going to the right, and then you'll get to James and Peter. 2 Peter 1.8. And this is Peter, and he says, For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So 
These qualities should continue to increase. That's part of the sanctification process. So let me just summarize by saying there's lots of denominations and religions that add lots of different things to grace and faith. It's just not biblical. And so when you hear that, try to help people do it in a loving way, but show them the true gospel. Show them what the Bible actually says, because that's not biblical. And I feel so bad because I know there's a lot of people who truly believe they are living a dedicated and loving Christian life. And yet the foundation of their belief is they got to earn their way. They got to do various things and they got to do sacraments and they got to each time they do these things, they earn a little more grace is imparted to them through the priest or through whatever that church is or through that process. And that's man-made stuff. That is not biblical. There are no verses for that. None, as we've seen today. If there are any, I hope somebody will call me and point them out. But have fun looking for them because you're not going to find them. And what happens is if that is your theology, your theology is my salvation comes through faith plus these other things that I do. Well, you're essentially rejecting the gospel of Christ is what Paul says. And you will suffer the five consequences that we were talking about at the beginning of our study today. So you've got to get grace right to be saved. You've got to get faith and grace right. Grace means we receive something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. And grace is something that God is giving us that we truly don't deserve. And it's our faith. And it's only by our faith that we're saved. And then lastly, we just need to be mindful of confessing our sin when we do stumble and we do make a mistake and we're all going to do it. Just confess it and get the Holy Spirit restored and able to function in our life again to continue that sanctification process. And then we'll be able to produce this fruit that we see here at the end of Galatians 5. So let me open it up now for just questions or comments that any of you may have. It wasn't just chapter 5, it was the whole book of Galatians. I mean, there were other things, but this is sort of the cornerstone piece. Plenty of, there's plenty elsewhere. At least there are a lot of commentators who say that was in the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation. Hey, could you do just a real quick summary of the five consequences? Five consequences. The question is, can you give a summary of the five consequences in Galatians 5? The first is that Christ will be no benefit to you. So Christ can't save you if you're going to reject his gospel and you're going to add a bunch of stuff to it. He won't be a benefit to you. Number two, by doing that, you're now obligated to keep the whole law. If you're going to try to earn your way, you're now obligated to keep every single piece of the law, all of it which is impossible, as we saw in James 2.10. Number three is you've fallen from grace. And so even if you were a true believer, if you start going down this road, you're inhibiting God's grace in your life here on earth. You're inhibiting the ability of the Holy Spirit to work. If that is your original belief that it's faith plus something else, well, then you're not even within God's grace. You're now going your own path, and you want to earn your own way. And so you've rejected God's grace. Number four is if you add to faith, then you're no longer going to be declared righteous by your faith alone. 
Because again, you've rejected God's grace and it's only through our faith that we're declared righteous. And so you're wanting to earn your way and therefore you're going to be judged on your works is what you're going to be judged on rather than being declared righteous because of your faith. And number five, it hinders the Holy Spirit and it hinders our spiritual growth. So you said this really well, but it's worth reinforcing. If if your life is not characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, that doesn't mean you need to try harder to be more loving or joyful. That's, That's the byproduct of your relationship with the Spirit. So I think of it like a barometer that kind of tells, I mean, if you can measure your life by either the fruit of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. If you're showing more fruit of the flesh, that means your relationship with God needs to be improved, not that you need to try harder. And the relationship comes with being in God's Word, being around God's people, and praying, and all those things that you do to to stay close to Him. But you can't do it by effort. You can't be more joyful. You said patience. That's one of mine. You can't just be more patient and, and, and try harder. And be careful when you pray for more patience and then try harder because God will put you through it. (laughs) But you're absolutely right. That is a great summary in that this is the work of the Spirit, not us. We can try as hard as we want to do this. And we may have a little instance of it every now and then, but it won't truly be sustainable. It's only by the Holy Spirit. And that can show the Holy Spirit is working in our life. And if you're not seeing a lot of it, then you got to start asking why. And you pointed out correctly, how's your prayer life? How much time you spend studying Scripture? Those things that help enable the Holy Spirit. And since this is mainly a group of men, I also point out, and I ask people, men, who say, my prayers aren't being answered. There's a verse in the Bible that says, if you don't treat your wife right, your prayers will be hindered. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 7, it says, You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the Christ of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so, how are you treating your spouse? And there aren't, I never found it, there's not a parallel verse to our wives. To their prayers are hindered if they don't treat us right. I found that interesting. So the one other thought on that is sanctification is not necessarily linear. So if you, if you have periods of your life where you feel like you're falling down, that's, that's pretty natural. And, and you, you should be able to measure the, these qualities, these byproducts, across a big period of time and you should be getting more and more showing more and more of that but any any given day you might have a a setback so that's that's to be expected yeah thanks for pointing that out as well i like to describe it to people if you try to chart out your life if the holy spirit is present in your life the sanctification process if you look back over a period of months or years it should have a gradual trend up from the lower left to the upper right. There might be some dips along the way. In fact, there will be. There will be dips along the way. But the slope should be a gradual going up. And if it's not, you can call me and we can talk about it. I'll try to help you figure it out. But how is your prayer life? How is your study of the Word? Do you have some unconfessed sin in your life? There must be something that you're doing to hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's figure out what that might be. Thank you for joining us today. 
I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this podcast and my weekly blog by sending a text to 56316, type Larry in the text box, and hit send. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.